Hey friends, welcome to our second conversation of women and angels in the Bible with Rochelle Thompson, Lindsay Harden-Freeman, and Kate Moorhead. Thanks for listening. So welcome today to a conversation with two of our favorite forward movement authors, Lindsay Harden-Freeman, author of the best-selling Bible Women, All Their Words and Why They Matter, and Kate Moorhead, author of Angels of the Bible, Finding Grace, Beauty, and Meaning. Welcome, Lindsay, Kate. Thanks for being here with us today to talk about the role of women and the role of angels in the Bible. Thanks, Good Rochelle. Hi, Rochelle. So last time we talked about one of the most well-known stories of a woman encountering an angel when the angel Gabriel visits Mary. So today we'll explore the first encounter of a woman and an angel when an angel visits Eve at the, gar- the gate of the Garden of Eden. Um, so let's start about a kind of understanding where we are in the biblical story and what's happening. Lindsay, can you set the scene for us? Sure. And, and this is uh, the first story in the Bible of a man and a woman. And it runs into a lot of uh, dissension and controversy, of course, through human history, it seems like. But I'd like to encourage all of us to just to live into the story. There's an old adage that says that stories don't tell us what is true. They tell us what must be true. So if we could just live into that when we think about the story, as, as is most helpful to do with all these old Bible stories, and then I believe we'll find God's truth somewhere in there and what God wants us to know on a, on a very deep level as well as the more up top level. So I would... Uh, bring the story of Adam and Eve to the table here as God does in the first chapter of Genesis, actually chapter three for the one that we're concerned with today. And Adam and Eve have been living a pretty happy, well, we don't know if it's been happy, but living in God's place (laughs) and in a place that is supposed to be happy and in a place that is supposed to give joy and give them everything they need. God created Adam and he said, you know, we've got this tree of knowledge. Don't eat anything from the tree of knowledge there, the tree of good and evil. And unfortunately, he forgot to tell Eve that, well, God doesn't really forget things. But the story is the story in the Bible. Eve offers Adam a piece of the forbidden fruit. Adam eats it, it, and they are turned out of the garden. Um, All has gone wrong. They have gone against God. They have separated themselves from God. This is where we see the, the concept of original sin coming in. So that sets the stage for the story of Adam and Eve very briefly. So Kate, then tell us what happens at the gate. So um, Adam and Eve have taken something that wasn't freely offered to them, and they are expelled. They literally, in the Hebrew, are cast out of paradise. They have lived in a harmonious relationship with God, as far as we can tell, without suffering. Um, And I think this notion that we human beings were designed for uh, paradise, we were designed for Eden, um, is right. It's a deep truth about who we are, because when we encounter suffering in most of our lives, one of our first responses is always, what's wrong with me? Or why is this happening to me? Or this shouldn't be happening to me, which I think... um, 
tells us that we were designed for uh, harmony and peace and um, bliss, really. We, we, we expect it. A child is born expecting to be loved, cared for, and is doing so in the womb. But when it comes out, it has to deal with a world in which it, sometimes it's not held or it cries. Um, so I think we're designed to be loved perfectly, but somehow we've been cast out of um, the place where we were, were originally intended to be. And we find ourselves outside in a broken world where we do suffer. The angel is placed at the boundary between the two existences, at the boundary between paradise and harmony with God and the reality of our lives. And the angel protects paradise from us coming back in, which is a really interesting concept, or perhaps protects us uh, from trying to get back in. Um, and it's a wonderful place. It's the first angel in the scripture to appear. And it stands on the boundary between these two realities. And we'll see angels consistently standing on the boundaries between uh, heaven and earth, between um, God's reality and our reality, um, coming to us um, to protect, but also to interpret uh, between the, the two realities. So, Kate, that's really interesting. You, you talked about the angels standing at the gate, possibly to protect us from entering back into the Garden of Eden. Why why would the gate why would the angel not want us to come back in what's the the importance of that um that's a, a mystery but i think the as soon as we were cast out of eden there was another way back to god but it wasn't back through the gate then the another way back to god is back through the suffering which is what jesus will teach us in the cross um so we can't go back we have been uh, our natures have been changed it some in some fashion by the consumption of this tree of life um our awareness has increased perhaps uh, to too great of an extent for us to live in the innocence in which we 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 were thriving so the way forward now is through through the pain and through the suffering and and through the cross uh it's not back into eden well, you talked about the sword and this kind of fiery creature. And I mean, what's going on with the sword? Why does this angel wield a sword? That seems pretty um, scary and violent. <laughs> so what is that telling us? Yeah, it's pretty interesting to study angels in scripture because they are fairly violent. There's a lot of fighting angels. We got the angel Michael, the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, full of angels doing battle with the darkness and carrying swords and flying around and killing dragons. They're pretty awesome, actually. Um, <laughs> I think we should make video games out of them. <laughs> but um, yes, there is a sense that this is a powerful presence. And I think um, certainly in the time of the scripture and for many centuries, the sword has been a symbol of uh, power, of strength, of violence. Um, I think we cannot go back. It would be um, wrenching, uh, hurtful somehow. It's not allowed. Uh, so this, this, the sword is a symbol of strength and of um, power. Okay, I want to, just one more question about angels and this, especially this idea of kind of the violence of angels sometimes. We often have the idea of an angel as this cherub, as this um, very Cupid-looking um, uh, 
cartoon almost understanding <laughs> of angels. And you're calling us to a much deeper understanding that angels are are across a whole spectrum of emotions and um, and experiences, and not just this ideal that Hallmark has promoted for years. Is that right? That's absolutely right. One of the things that I really want to stress is sometimes we, in order to not take seriously the spiritual realm, we cast it as fairy tale. We do that with the story of Noah and the ark. It's actually quite a terrifying story, but we often make it into a little fairy tale or a nursery rhyme. We'll actually put it on, it's funny, we'll put it on nursery walls. I think because the thought of all the creatures going two by two is kind of cute. But what we do is we relegate these stories of incredible violence and uh, um very, very complicated stories. We don't know what to make of them, so we kind of cast them aside as fairy tale. And we do that often with angels. Um, we'll we'll look at them and we'll paint them as little babies with wings or little cherubs um, and almost equate them like with a Valentine's Day image where that's not scriptural at all. There's no indication of angels being babies. In fact, most of them must have been terrifying because they often say, don't be afraid when they first appear. So this is a realm that makes us uncomfortable, that's mystical. And that involves, the angelic realm involves a struggle, a spiritual battle between light and darkness. And um, oftentimes we don't know what to make of that. So it's easier to think about it being somehow uh, like a children's nursery rhyme. Lindsay, it's interesting as we're talking about this discussion with angels and um, that that we've often relegated angels to this um, cartoon ideal. It when we talk about women in the Bible, we've also mm. often relegated them to kind of a very one-dimensional understanding. And you've spent a lot of time talking about women in the Bible and the the really uh, incredible range of roles that they've played. Do you want to talk about that for a minute with with Eve and also with um, just your understanding of women in the Bible and how how much uh, the richness there is to really learning about these women and not just uh, taking it kind of face value, some of the things that we might have been taught as children or even as adults about women? Yes, I, I think that's a really good point about women and about angels is that we've tamed them all down, haven't we? Yeah, I was yeah. thinking of the angel of death in the Hebrew Bible that goes and kills 50,000 or so um, mm-hmm. enemy soldiers. And it's like, wow, that really is staggering when you think about it. And it's and the women in the Bible, you know, it's the same thing about Noah's Ark, uh, Jonah, and uh, being swallowed by the great whale or great fish or whatever kind of fish it was. Nobody really knows. But um it's the same. Think of how we made Mary such a tame figure. Just uh, here's this girl, and she's going to have a baby, and isn't she lovely? And she's in every crush. Think of thousands of crushes that Mary shows up in, and everything's fine, and everything's sweet. But it must have been a terrifying time for her. And I think you're right. It's like we do that with many of the women in the Bible. The stories we found when we were doing the research for the women in the Bible, as you know, um, is uh, just some are terrifying and some are brutal and some are, but the, the, the stories themselves are very honest. Mm-hmm. They tend to cut across so many uh, kind of pablum truths that we have or pablum understandings that we've, that, they, that we've had throughout the centuries of what's going on in the Bible. So, I mean, when you unleash 
I, I think an original title for the book on Bible women we talked about was Bible Women Unleashed. And then we thought, mm-hmm. no, that's not going to work. But um, when you look at the context of real angels and real women, it's, it is a lot different than we've been led to believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we think of Eve as, as someone who is, um, oh, uh, we call her a helpmate. That was the translation in the King James Version. But she's really, the Hebrew verb looks more of like a sustainer. She was, he needed her to, to live and thrive. So she has a much more powerful world. And then she was curious. She took initiative. Uh, we always blame her for the fall. But what a powerful thing she did by taking that fruit. Whether you like it or not, it certainly was the most pivotal act, <laughs> maybe in all of the scripture, because without it, we wouldn't have even had Christ. We don't know if Adam would have eaten with, without her. So it's, I mean, she really initiates the story of salvation. This is a woman. She really does. And you know what? I am not sure that if we follow this story that humankind would be even around because it was only after they left the garden that they had children. Yeah. It's true. Uh, the, first, the, the, the Bible says the first in the first creation story of Adam and Eve that they embraced each other, but nothing had come from that embrace until after they left. Mm. Cain and Abel were not born yet. So would the human race even be here? And I, I got to tell you that lo- you're right. Uh, she, Eve does get a lot of the blame. Eve is bad, and Adam is pretty bad, but he followed his wife who told him what to do. That's the old story. <laughs> I've always had this thought that it's it, maybe there was a lot of bliss in the garden and it's perfection, but it might have been very boring. And here was a woman <laughs> after knowledge. She wanted the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She wanted to be like God, and that's not, you know, that's um, not, not a great thing to think that a that a human can be like God, but, but isn't that what God has always, always, the women in the Bible are always pushing out toward boundaries. I mean, breaking boundaries and they're always um, pushing out and growing and transforming. Oftentimes they die because of it. Um, There are stories in the old Testament where they've spoken up and as you know, they've lost their lives, but um, it's a, to me, this is truer to the way that God made us in terms of look at how God made the universe in, ter- in terms of the uh, boundaries of the universe pushing out and out and out. Of course, Einstein's theory is that the red line that will come back, it'll start turning around and coming back in one of these days. It hasn't happened yet. And so I think, you know, some people say, did God set that tree in the garden on purpose? Yeah. It's a question. And I think, I think there could be a lot of truth to that. Also, I'm, I'm pretty I think of the story of Eve, and then I think of the story of Mary Magdalene going into that darkness. Both of them, as you say, Kate, you know, this we've got another way to go now toward back to God. It's not what we what some may have wanted to go back in through those gates. That's no longer an option. But Mary Magdalene went into the heart of darkness, into that dark cave, and there's the angel and the other women. And there's the angel saying, you know, Jesus isn't here in Mark at least, saying he's gone on to Galilee. You'll see him there. So we're always searching for God and going into that darkness. And as you say, we, the women in the Bible are transformative in the way that they lead us through another way, yeah. back to yeah. God, back to Jesus. Yeah. And, and we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have seen an angel if, if Eve hadn't eaten the fruit. She wouldn't have seen right. it. That's right. And think how scary that angel must have been to Adam and Eve. And then think about the angel that that came to Mary, young Mary, and they yeah. just, don't be afraid. So 
Yeah, pretty scary. I know. First, they see that they're naked, which is terrifying enough. And then they see an angel <laughs> with a fiery sword. They must have had PTSD after that. That's a lot of trauma. Well, Kate, I, I, I didn't get enough of how you saw the, um, what did the angel look like? I mean, was it, what did it look like? In your book, I see some artwork that people have done over the centuries. And, and right. what's your sense of that? I'd love to know. Well, there's always this image of light, and then and then there's also secondarily fire. Uh, the cherubim are supposed to be; they have Canaanite roots, um, so they they were part creature, evidently, and part uh, winged uh, human. Um, so wait, wait, we don't wait, really cherub- know. The cherubim have Canaanite roots. Yes, yes. Um, th- there is some relationship between them and the Canaanite. Um, uh, old Canaanite myths and and some of the poetries oh. of the Psalms, riding through the Aryan chariots, um, fiery oh. swords. Oh, and Ezekiel. Uh, and they the were chariot. hybrid creatures, uh, cherubim, oh. and they're considered one of the highest realms of angels. Um, uh, so winged beasts of fearsome aspect in some way. Um, oh. But we do know that there was fire involved, which is Pentecostal as well. There's so mm-hmm. much of God's presence manifests as light or fire or heat. Um, and so um, this Plenty. fiery sword and that the, the, um, the cherubim also were in constant motion. They were difficult to look at. I love this new theory we have in quantum mechanics about different dimensions, but it sounds as if they exist in another dimension because they're, they're sort of moving in a way that, that we find difficult to look at almost as if it's, you know, how you can't look directly at the sun. It's just too bright. It will damage your eyes. I find that probably there was something of that nature going on. Just really hard to look at sort of too much to take in. Mm Hmm. Well, I've always found it interesting that, and excuse us, Rochelle, I mean, Rochelle, no, I'm loving this questions. conversation. Keep <laughs> on. Well, I've always found it interesting that the cherubim are, seraphim are kind of, or at least the cherubim are on the highest kind of level, but then you have the, the messenger angels like uh, Gabriel and Raphael and Michael and the big warrior angels, and they're not kind of as worthy, worthy are they? On the, on the no, they're not as they're celestial. Angels. They're lower down, according well, that's to... That's a pretty important the, job they're doing. So why do oh. you think the cherubim are, are atop the ladder? Um, I think the cherubim are designed to be almost unapproachable by humans, uh, which is another reason why this cherubim would have been placed at the gate, because the point was to keep the humans out. Uh, whereas the archangels or the messengers appear to humans and need to be seen and understood. Uh, so they're not quite as daunting. The, I think the cherubim would have been um, very difficult to see uh, and very very made you want to hide or run away from them because their brightness was too much for us to um, conceive of really. Um, Almost like if we tried to take in a planet or a star, you know, we're just too small. Um, So the, the cherubim's uh, largeness or brightness would have kept us at bay, which was its purpose. It's a boundary holder. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's so interesting. We're having this conversation and we've just celebrated epiphany and we're in this season of, of light and dark and a time of new beginnings. And um, how, is there a way that you can connect kind of this season that we're in, but this time between Epiphany and the beginning of Lent and this, um, most of us are in winter and in a lot of darkness, but there's also this kind of idea of new beginnings and lightness. Mm-hmm. How does this encounter with Eve and the angel inform that and help us understand this time better? 
Well, I think um, th this notion that the human being can only take in so much light, um, and I think we grow in our capacity to, to take in the light. The season of epiphany is a season of showing, so appearances of light, basically, or of Christ. Um, and the more that we can look at that, the greater our capacity becomes to um, to drink it in. Just like when we pray, the more we pray, the more capable we are of prayer. Um, it's really a discipline. It's a practice. Um, I think we have to practice opening our eyes to the acts of God in the world, to beauty. We have to practice looking for beauty, practice looking for the works of the Holy Spirit uh, in the world. And in that way, the more we look, the more we see and our eyes are open. So Epiphany is a wonderful season as the light is coming back into the world, especially in the north, it's still quite dark. Um, we're searching for the light, but the more we look for it, the more we find it. Lindsay, do you have, what, what are your thoughts? Well, yes, yes, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm wondering if, if God, God knew that Jesus would be in a world of suffering and would take that suffering upon himself. And was God trying to protect us from darkness and from suffering in the Garden of Eden? Or was uh, this plan B um, in terms of uh, getting us out there? Was this plan A in terms of getting it out there? What strikes me is that we have the um, lovely incarnational words that we just heard from the first chapter of John about Jesus being the light in the darkness that the world can never put out. So either way, if we were meant to be back in the garden or if we were meant to, to get out there and suffer, and I can't imagine that God wanted us to suffer, but we know our own children will suffer in order to learn and grow and finally work their way back to God. And maybe those were God's thoughts as well. But it, it's all about the story of God's people in the Bible with the angels and with the women. It's all about initial light and then darkness going out into that cruel world and not being able to find the way back, the original way back. But then Jesus providing us a way back with the resurrection um, and light. And it's interesting that we see Jesus portrayed so much in that, in light and being the light and, and the light the world could not put out. Um, I don't think it's just a safety net. I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful um, pathway that God's given us. And maybe that angel knew all that. Do you think when he, she was flashing that sword around, do you think that, um, or probably, I'm not sure how much angels know. God, God knows things and maybe just sends angels out to get things done. So I think angels, I'm not sure they actually, they, they seem to be doing great works or they seem to be doing difficult works, like killing people. As you said, Kate, they're kind of like, they're kind of like maybe just the facts, God, we're going to go out and do what you sent us to do. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a true mystery about their comprehension um, because they're not mortal and we don't really understand what it is that they uh, perceive. Um, uh, again, it it's to me, I, I like thinking of them existing in other dimensions. They probably perceive a great deal more than we do, um, but they tend to have the capacity to allow us to respond in whatever way we're called to respond. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, so that angel stands on the boundary and, and tells Adam and Eve, basically, you can't come back. You've got move forward, uh, move forward in, into a shadow lands. Um, uh, it's not a, it's not a, um, 
it's not a pleasant message to be told you can't go back. Um, but it was the truth. Uh, and they do tell the truth. And yet there is a lot of good news in that still mm-hmm. uh, of that eventually there Jesus will be here to, to mm-hmm. bring us back in relationship to God and to offer salvation. And so there is good news. I think sometimes we feel when we're in the darkness or when we feel like a gate has closed, that there, that it, there's an end of sorts. And it feels mm-hmm. like this story is a reminder to us that there's more to the story. The story is not over sometimes when we feel like it is. is yeah. That's a really good point, Rochelle. I think that when we struggle and a door closes in our life, it's very easy to try to push that same door back open again and to say, what if I had done this or what if I had done that? Or if only I could go back to this or that. I think angels do stand at the closed door and tell you to move forward into something else, not to look back anymore and and not to try to figure out whether it was good or bad or better or worse, but simply to move forward into whatever God is calling you to do now. You know, we only have the present moment and uh I like to think of the angels standing, especially at the gates of my memories of things that I've messed up and telling me, okay, stop ruminating and move on now. Enough. <laughs> you know, I, I would <laughs> Look think forward. that this message could be very helpful for um, especially women who've been trapped in domestic violence, yeah, who are, are getting away from abusive partners. Um, and it just seems to me that you're right. Angels can say no not that way. It's not healthy. It's not good for you. Come with me. We will show you this way. Right. Excellent. Right. Uh, it's a pretty positive, pretty positive message in that the last woman to speak in the Bible was a fortune telling girl in Acts 9, and she is seeking her freedom. And she is uh, inhabited by demons. And Paul throws those demons out of her and she gets, she gets to be who she is, whole and healthy and seeking her freedom and we never heard from her again but the mm-hmm. good news is that she found it the mm-hmm. gospel uh, the acts implies that she found it and it was uh it was because of god and the holy spirit that she was able to do that so you're right this is a really positive message yeah yeah thank you so, it is so i wonder um as we move forward and conclude our time together that uh, that we offer prayers for all of us that when it feels like um, a door has closed or a gate or there's a, a, a time that we look for those angels to help us along in our encounters and um, give us hope for the next stage or the next mm-hmm. opportunity. Yeah, I think I, I know that the cherubim didn't hold a sign. He held a sword. But if he held a sign, it might have said no more what ifs. <laughs> no more what if I had done this or what right. if I had done that right. no more what ifs like go forward yeah yeah that's wonderful well Kate Lindsay thank you so much for your time today I really look forward to our next conversation as we explore the encounter of Hagar and her time with an angel in the desert if you have questions for Lindsay or Kate or a topic to suggest email us at editorial at forwardmovement.org and we'll pass them along Thanks, Kate, Lindsay. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Take care, Rochelle. Thanks, Lindsay.